David A. Price presents... folks welcome to marvel noise episode 403 i'm your host solstice steve raker podcasting from the cutaway sub levels of the comic book bunker we post two episodes a month no ads and anything marvel is our scope sound good then let's get to it with me as always are my co-hosts whirlwind wwx kevin and andrew the la rabbit my good old comics buddies since the Days of the combined Marvel Noise 11 o'clock comics message boards. And we're still using our old handles to this day. Well, we begin this treasury-sized holiday grab bag with some comics only connected to the Christmas season on the first few pages. But, hey, that still counts, right? Sorry, Kevin, it's time for some more Steve Gerber comics from the 70s. <laughs> oh, but Super Steve, I don't know if you knew, we were doing another Thunderbolt segment. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I didn't expect that. This is the Black Spectre arc from Daredevil 108 to 112, with a little sidetrack to Marvel 2-in-1 number 3, a title that Gerber was also writing at the time. And, Andrew, it's not just Kevin's Nightmare, Bronze Age Gerber, but it's also bi-monthly Bronze Age Gerber, at least at first. And remember how fractured storylines would be back when they were allowed to be bi-monthly, where they really seemed like felt no obligation to make sure that things were cohesive. <laughs> <laughs> I look at it as kind of like a a fable almost, you know, sort of a magical reality where we're not really meant to get too rung up in like the sort of catastrophic changes that happen on the side panel that would create (laughs) ramifications for years and years and just let it go (laughs) as part of the overall uh, beauty of it. And this this is a story and it's a, a thing and things line up and other things don't. And hey, look. I love this first cover, so I'm on board. Yeah, You know, I actually had to jump forward in my reading because I hadn't actually got to hear my Daredevil reading because oh. I am I was reading some of the Marvel Masterworks. Mm-hmm. So I had to jump ahead to Volume 11, which has the Daredevil issues and the Marvel 2-in-1. Nice. Is also, this arc picks up on threads from the short-lived Shanna the She-Devil title. That lasted only five issues, I think, but Gerber scripted at least the last few issues. The writer was Carol Suling, actually, Phil Suling's wife, although by then they had split up. Phil Suling, Suling was a the comics con organizer and comics distributor in the 70s that is one of the fathers of the direct market. These issues ran from fall of 1973 through the spring of 1974. And on the DD issues, we get art from Bob Brown, inked by 
the likes of Paul Gulacy and Don Heck and Jim Mooney and Gene Colan, inked by Franks Chiramonti and Giacoa. And the Marvel 2-in-1 number 3 artists, Sal Buscema and Joe Sinnott. The first issue opens up with Daredevil and the Black Widow in San Francisco during Christmas season. I love this splash page. What? Gula- what? They're, they're so high <laughs> up in the air, swinging over the street. And it's I just really like Gulacy's inks over brown. Like, even the sole of Daredevil's foot has some, like, whiteout. Yeah. S- like, splattered up and down it to make almost, like... Um, razor cuts in the bottom just to make some like traction on his that's just really cool i mean i'm i I didn't give the the thunderbolts line up here but uh (laughs) i guess we just have abe jenkins as uh as uh the beetle here the classic best beetle yes sucker finger beetle i mean i i was reading this i really came around to the to the genius of uh the sucker fingers. Like he has all these great visually dynamic pose. And it's like, yeah, I, I mean, the other costume's awesome. But when you add those sucker fingers, it's like he's, it's like he misses Daredevil, but then he, but his fingers get stuck on like, I don't know, a chimney. And then he pulls the chimney back or like when dollar bills are flying around, he's like sucking up the album up with his fingers. And I'm like, Oh my God! There's it's almost like Doctor Ox tentacles, but they get stuck on everything. They're like all super sticky. You know. I'm like, if somehow you can make those retractable fingers into the modern outfit, I mean, you'd have something really cool. Good defense weapon would be like a pane of glass for <laughs> 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 those things to get stuck on. But this I can't get them off my fingers. This is like experienced Beetle too. Like he really knows how to use the sucker fingers and yeah. to his advantage for sure. I, I always liked how the Beetle was the overpowered but still a buffoon kind of guy, like <laughs> like Stilt Man, but with a lot more strength and ability. <laughs> Good comparison, actually, and both Daredevil villains. Things are strained with the Widow at this point in the title that had been Daredevil and the Black Widow. Yeah, for, for quite a number. I of have issues. to remind myself that this is her. You you think I'm a villain, so I'll be a villain, even though I'm not a villain, type of thing. Yeah, this is kind of kind of weird. Daredevil hears that Foggy's been shot back in New York, so he leaves San Francisco and the Widow with uh, with Moondragon's help to get back to New York and. It's kind of like he's done with the widow, and like, yeah. and maybe he's like, "Hey, Moon Dragon, I might have feelings for you." I know he's into Moon Dragon. Matt's a player. He's always been a player. Oh yeah, and oh, he yeah. does well, right? Well, I, the only part that struck me as a little tin-eared was his whole like, "I don't have a lot of experience with love triangles." <laughs> I'm like, "How about Aaron and Foggy and you?" Like. <laughs> That's his move, you know? (laughs) So Matt visits Foggy in the hospital, who says it was this organization, the Black Spectre, that's moved into town and are hiring all the gangs to cause chaos, and they're going to steal these treasury 
dollar bill printing plates that are going to be on display at a museum. So he changes into Daredevil and goes to intercept whoever's going to steal the plates, and it's the Beetle. You know, the thing I have to remind myself about Foggy, too, is the that he's the DA thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yep. He's got a responsibility. Yeah. To, to the taxpayers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the Beetle that's stealing the plates, so they have a pretty good having it out here. Yeah. So it's old plates? It's it's because they'll, they'll print old money? Assuming they have the paper and everything. Yeah, there's a bunch of other steps, but sure. Yeah, we're not going to concern ourselves with... So, <laughs> there are a lot of broad strokes in these yeah. plans. We don't want you to get tied up in the minutiae, Kevin. Just enjoy the big sucker battle <laughs> between Daredevil and Abe. And I also like how the traditional beetle suit had a... He was powerful, but it was really bulky. So it's yeah. this kind of not like lies so it's a great matchup against daredevil whose agility is his strongest suit you know power against agility now you understand how daredevil can beat ultron (laughs) so daredevil defeats the beetle but these commandos show up declaring themselves agents of the black specter they crash in and take the plates Turns out the Beetle was working solo. And now, were you upset, Steve, that they used tear gas and not some sort of fog-based weapon? Mm-hmm. So it can be Foggy's plan was foiled by fog. <laughs> I like how they let Daredevil live because, you know, he helped them out by foiling the Beetle who would have stolen the treasury plates out from under their nose, too. The Black Spectre also declare that they're fueled by hate. And Daredevil makes a note of the fact that there's no engine sound when they escape and no sound of footsteps running away. How did, how'd they get, how'd they escape? How'd they get away? Well, if they're having old plates, maybe they have like old vehicles or something too. (laughs) Or maybe this is a whole thing, right? It's all old stuff. Well, I was thinking, see, if this was done in, like, the 90s or modern days, they could, instead of fuel, they could have sold that for product placement. And like, <laughs> we're fueled by Red Bull. <laughs> Slide a little subtle, you know, uh, make a little extra money on the side. If it was late 80s or 90s, it would have been Jolt Cola, though. <laughs> so in the next issue, the Beetle tries to escape once the cops show up, and then he and Daredevil get into it again for a bunch of pages. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the Beetle ultimately escapes by threatening innocent bystanders on the street below by throwing a chunk of rubble at them, so Daredevil has to be distracted. Well, I also like how uh, the Beetle implicates Daredevil as his partner (laughs) to the cop, so it makes it seem like they're working together. I'm like, that is smart, you know. Get the old JJJ trick going. Matt and Foggy do some research together on the Black Spectre and try to brainstorm a little. And they notice in the the pictures of the events that Black Spectre was involved in, there always seems to be a blimp 
And so maybe that's how they escaped without there being a big engine sound. I just love the like fight ends two months later. We just <laughs> Yeah. And then all these yeah. crazy, like I said, giant events where they're defacing national landmarks. I know. Just eight, eight huge events happen in one panel off. They're referred to from off panel. I'm like, that's a lot of, a lot goes on when we're so, not around. So Steve Gerber, right? Like his organizations always wanted to stabilize the U.S. For, or is it just Gerber who wants to do that, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. There's it a, kind a, of reminds me of like the Red Skull or something with the with yeah. all the money stuff. And I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure he was, he would be up on something like this too. Gerber very easily slides into the Red Skull's shoes on some <laughs> of this. <laughs> I mean, a New Year's Day race riot at the base of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. A swastika on the Washington Monument. Hitler's face carved into Mount Rushmore along with the Founding Fathers. (laughs) And along those same same lines, a few issues later, maybe it's issue 110, at one point Daredevil's standing out on Shanna the She-Devil's trellis and he's pontificating about how the Black Spectre hates anyone who's different uh, and how he wants to establish that that's the way life in America is and the only way to change it is to seize control and run things his way. And Shanna's like, you know, aren't you sounding a little bit like him? You're like sympathizing with him? And I feel like Gerber does that a lot with his America-destroying organizations in, in this and other issues for sure then we get to have some fun with it steve i mean you gotta enjoy that's gerber's that's I mean. having like, fun like oversized <laughs> events that happen and then they'll just get unwound without a lot of sturm and drang and it like they eh, just got fixed and now we're back to doing whatever like yeah. i like that because you gotta wants be to able get... to roll with that he just wants to get it out there he doesn't care if then it all comes crashing down. He just wants it, it, it said and out in a comic book, you know? <laughs> yeah, at first I didn't think much of this Black Spectre, and then they keep on ramping it up. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess this, this is this is a pretty big event, and actually they're, I mean, a threat. And I'm like, wow, I didn't think they'd take them that seriously. Then Gerber follows up with a nice uh, Bob Brown Don Heck double page spread that has Daredevil donning his costume and shows his gear and explains how his cane separates into the billy club pieces and stuff. Come on. We all wanted a little cutaway in this, didn't we? (laughs) That was pretty close. Back in San Francisco, like you said, Andrew, it's like it's two months later. And the Black Widow misses Matt and then she gets attacked and subdued by Necra who had only made one made one appearance at this point over in Shanna the She-Devil's title uh yeah should I say I've read a lot of Necra always love the choice to have the Widow's belt not part of the costume so it kind of free floats around always a delightful bit of visual contrast against the bodysuit. Yep. Love that choice. Bless bless the art team for deciding on that. Then it can hang off her hip, you know? Yeah. 
And then when she's in action, it's in all sorts of moving around and everything. Yeah, I just think it's a great, it's a nice, like I said, it just breaks up that whole bodysuit and everything and conveys more of the motion. Necker is working for the Black Spectre and is spewing hate, like we heard from the Black Spectre agents. It's not the hate monger either. <laughs> Necker wants the Black Widow to join them and help them destroy Daredevil. I'm like, wait, what? What did he do? Like, the, <laughs> la- the last thing that happened was he helped them steal the plates by slowing the beetle down. Anyway, that's that's what a bi-monthly book will get you. <laughs> well, see, you, you can't control hate. Like, they started out neutral and it just overwhelmed. I mean, they need to bring in, like, Star Fox or something to see if love against hate, how that works out. Uh there, there's no what, mind bomb or something here. Close enough. Daredevil. It'll destroy the world. Daredevil spots the Black Spectre commandos on the rooftops of Manhattan, throwing money down onto the streets <laughs> and then filming it. And and the reaction. You know, I still love that that plot where a villain's just throwing money onto the streets. There was a great. I can't remember if it was This American Life or one of those radio programs, maybe Radio Lab or Snap Judgment, where they talked about incidences where uh, armored trucks had spill over and like the money goes out. <laughs> so it's interesting when you hear those radio bits because it's real life and how some people do. They run around and get the money, and other people try and help the because they interview a lot of the security guards who are working because they're usually just you know like guys that just got a job working and some the door didn't get latched or there's an accident like it wasn't like robbery they were just you know mistake you know there's armored trucks all the time accidents happen (laughs) i like the version of it on the simpsons where it's a beer truck and and the homer's dancing around in his underwear like (laughs) catching the spritzes of beer in his mouth like laughing like he's a little child (laughs) they also had the uh, sugar truck one yeah oh yeah (laughs) oh jeez why is there an englishman in my sugar but I, I do like the, uh, I like how the film crew is using like this giant camera. <laughs> hey, and they have the a separate 70s. sound guy. Like, hey, when uh, when Alan Font wanted to film you, he really had to, you know, he needed some camouflage because those cameras were big. Because they have a lot of high tech stuff, but just not high tech filming equipment yet. <laughs> <laughs> Daredevil busts this operation up, the, the filming at least, and. It's with the help of the Beatle. You know, I love that, seeing Abe team up with uh, Daredevil. It's like he's a good guy now or something. Yeah. Now, was I the only guy that had to Google John Bursford Tipton? <laughs> I didn't even bother. I was just like, I don't know, probably some reference. Because I'm like, he makes some reference to it, and I'm like, to the Google I go, something that was not around in my childhood. Yeah. So they would make some obscure reference to a character that hosted a TV show that had been off the air like 10 years before this even aired. I'm like, I don't know that young kids, because it was from some TV show and I think where they give away money or whatever. Yeah, I think it was possibly a radio show before then, but it was, (laughs) it was, they, they followed the um, story of people after they gave them like, I don't know, the money amount, but let's say it's a million dollars. So, like, this dude would give somebody a million dollars. Maybe it's a waitress. Maybe it's a, a longshoreman. Maybe it's, uh, you know, someone who's 
an entrepreneur. Um, but then kind of to see what, you know, they'd follow the people for a few months or whatever and see what happened and give you their little story or whatever. So the whole rich benefactor giving the money away was the, the angle. Another reference was in Dunbar Ainsley that I recognized when they were mentioning some of these rich uh, folk. And Dunbar Ainsley, I realized quickly, the drummer Ainsley Dunbar from the 70s who played with Frank Zappa and yeah, then gonna... <laughs> uh, formed, from. helped form Journey <laughs> until they started playing ballads and not jazz fusion and, and he left the band. <laughs> but pretty funny. Yeah, I love these. Uh, like I said, it's just nice now. We can, we're just a couple of keystrokes away from figuring out what seriously dated at the time this issue came out. Because remember, the, mm-hmm. like, what? I wonder if a kid reading this back in 1973 would have figured that out or would have been like, eh, old people. Hey, well, it wasn't in syndication. Mar- Marvel <laughs> was loving the college, feeding the college kids, though, too. You know, they they were happy to not write down to their youngest readers for sure. Shanna, the she devil shows up at the end of issue one Oh nine where there are two big cats making quite the entrance. No Zabu. He's still in the savage line. Yeah. Well, no. I do enjoy, uh, uh, the partnership between beetle and daredevil ends with, uh, beetle pun intended sucker punches him and sucks up a bunch of money with his sucker <laughs> yeah. fingers. Yeah. I like how they're vacuum <laughs> suction fingers. And then the cops wake him up and they have no problem. Apparently they saw through the whole you're working with the beetle thing we had last issue. And uh, that gets us to Shanna with two with a panther and a leopard on <laughs> on the leash. Beery and Inri, right? <clears throat> So then the story goes over to Marvel 2-in-1 number 3, where the opening sequence and setup here, I really, I mean, I love Gerber's somewhat um, curmudgeonly take uh, on, like, the ego of the Fantastic Four, right? It's like, while just swinging through town, Daredevil is almost killed by debris, from the Baxter building when an experiment involving Wondar creates an explosion and debris goes flying out everywhere in the surrounding area. So That's why those tenants don't want to live there. Yeah. So Daredevil marches up there to tell them off. Yeah. <laughs> Later, Daredevil attends a theater show as Matt Murdock where Hitler shoots Captain America on stage but it's what, what a real kill. This this seemed very bizarre, but also made me think of of that. Um, which one? I guess it was Hawkeye. Was it Hawkeye with the where they had like oh. the whole theater production? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, except this one was just like they're like, oh, the crowd thinks it's 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 not it. All this stuff, real stuff, is fake. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just the Black Gerber added. I mean, the Black Spectre added again, uh, wanting yeah. the Red Skull to, and Hitler to, you know, to win and shoot Cap. <laughs> it just reminded me of, and I don't know if it's still around, but 
I feel like the 70s, 80s, and I think the internet must have killed it, but performance art used to be a thing where people That's would just true. do weird things. Yeah, yeah, like, the 70s were big for that too, right? Or at least acknowledgement and, of it. Yeah, and so there'd be these weird kind of not strict narrative things or bizarre twists or just weird, not ordinary three-act plays or whatever that people would do to draw attention to or make a statement or whatever, be a performance artist. And that's what it definitely reminded me of, of some avant-garde theater. But I guess this really happened and pretty gruesome too. I'm wondering what those uh, ladies at the Comics Code Authority would think of this. Yeah, Daredevil. Yeah, I mean, Cheers. comes out swinging commie, traitor and everything. Well, I'm thinking more where the guy... Uh, Shoot, blows his brains out at the yeah. end of the play. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it That's, happens uh, off panel. Yeah, yeah, but still, I mean, even if you're <laughs> a young kid, you must have uh, figured that out pretty quickly. Daredevil person. He just gave himself a leg wound, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, he missed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> DD follows the. Black Spectre commandos out in the alley, but it's the Black Widow who stops him. She's one of them now. See, he sort of figures it out at one point. He's like, oh, maybe people are hypnotized. Then entirely forgets about that for like all the issues. Oh, she must have went evil because of our relationship. Yep. It's always because of you, Matt. <laughs> you know, he's, it's always him. Well, so, he forgot the whole thing that happened with the uh... With Foggy and Karen, so I don't doubt it. <laughs> See, I don't realize, I didn't realize, I thought when he said, no, not her, that was the lady equivalent to Adam Warlock's him. So that was supposed to be Black <laughs> oh. <Man. laughs> The other thing I like is, Wondar gets a containment suit that covers less of him than his old <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's unstable molecules for you. <laughs> Daredevil goes to steal a Fantastic Car from the Fantastic Four to intercept oh, no. that blimp. But... Oh no! So, so he was doing his best, Luke Cage, and then yep. was he gonna drive it? Right. Yeah. Like I'm like, what is the plan? No, here? you know what? The controls are well labeled. If you if, so. if you can see. <laughs> So, but the thing catches him in the act and is like, "Why don't you just ask? I'm happy to help." So exactly, the, and it's the thing's book after all, right? So the two of them go and they raid the blimp, and fight Necra and the Black Widow. And then the I still ca- wanted uh, Daredevil to scream, "Somebody stop that blimp!" <laughs> <laughs> Follow that blimp. <laughs> the thing also in the melee briefly sees the Black Spectre's leader unhooded. But then everything goes sour, and the he and Daredevil get beaten and thrown out of the blimp, but in the Fantastic Car. So when they wake up, they can like quickly, you know, perform evasive action and and steer out of there. I think that uh, Necra's character design is really cool. I like the visual. I like the power set, but it's done in kind of an annoying way. She just seems like she just yells, hate, hate. Like, instead of making a little more creative, I feel like it's not a, not as cool the way that I would have liked it to be. Like, I think we could have a cooler way of like just how she gins herself up 
in a more creative way than just screaming hate, hate, hate. Yep. Agreed. But that's her thing. That's her move. In order to have something unique like a Kirby Crackle or something. Back in Daredevil's book with issue 110, Daredevil parts ways with the Thing, who tells him that the Black Spectre's leader wasn't a man or a woman, but something closer to him, like a monster. Now, robots? That seems a little sassy to, you know, pass judgment like that, just because they're not the most attractive person in the world. I will also say, for readers following at home, I actually read all the Daredevil and then went back and read the Marvel 2. Oh. I didn't think it really hurt it at all, any, by the way. Daredevil fights some Black Spectre commandos and apprehends one and pulls the hood off, the helmet, and he was right. They're all women. Hmm. And it isn't until he takes her back to the police and hears them commenting that he learns that she's black and and that she has a mandrel tattoo like across her face. Uh-oh, Steve, Barbara Mandrell is back. <laughs> and watch out for her sisters. <laughs> it was the 70s, Kevin. Yeah, she was a plague upon Talk the, about dating ourselves. Dang. <laughs> So the mandrel reveals himself to Daredevil in Matt's apartment. You know, this might be the biggest mandrel story I've ever... Like, this might be his definitive man story as a mandrel. <laughs> and it's and it's only his second appearance. <laughs> I know. because I, I just remember him like, oh, he was in, like, I don't know, the vault or something. And, he, and it's like, oh, someone comes in, they do the cleanup crew, and then he's back, back in jail. Yep. Yep, he has pretty he, horrific rendering of this character, though. In this, they do a really good job of making him creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because later he becomes a gorilla with an Elvis cape, right? I mean, yeah, sometimes he's a little silly, but here I feel like he's very yeah. ominous, and you know, that's your Gene Colan for you. I feel like adding oh, sure. more, yeah, more because uh, he could be pretty cartoony if you wanted him to be. Yeah, I guess it kind of reminds me of the Rhino in his first story like he's pretty powerful yeah it goes on for issues and now the mandrel wants daredevil to join them the black sector so like first it was you can live as a thanks for interrupting the beetle from stealing our plates then it was he must be destroyed and now it's you must join the dark side of the force with Mm -hmm. us and rule by side but whatever among... It was a sl- soft approach, Steve. First, you kind of come in neutral, then you feel them <laughs> out, then you make the offer. Standard business technique. The mandrel, and then this origin story. Well, I'm that's... just like, yeah, that. They... Yeah. Over several pages, we finally get the mandrel and Necra's origins. They're a little Steve Gerberized from the way they presented them in the Shanna issues, but there, it's not really retconned it's just sort of added to yeah and they're not really concerned about the radioactivity like that's not the primary concern it seems like his father was a white scientist her mother a black custodian at an atomic research plant and the rads affected them so that to his wife was born a brown hairy freak that becomes the mandrel and she births an albino girl with sharp teeth 
and apparently that hairstyle. And they both have terrible childhoods, right? But somehow reunite after he's left to die in the desert and she runs away, like, in the same place. And yeah, and they become a found family, which is always fun. They each kind of remind me of the of, uh, the original uh, League of, uh, of Evil Mutants, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants kind of thing. The outcasts teaming up. They each have powers, too. She gets strong and invulnerable with hate. Hate, 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 right? And he can control women with a hypnotic stare. So that's how he made the Black Widow his thrall and was able to, you know, create the Black Spectre army of these black women. So he's like a half purple man, but he's seems to be getting way more successful at his uh, goals. Another well, I tell you, the, they should get uh, Necro should be around today because she's going to love the internet if hate is what powers. <laughs> <laughs> but the black of the black specter is the fact that they're all black women, which is an odd fetish for a way to make an army. So, but the only woman to have resisted him is Shanna, because he met her when he was introduced in her book. He was trying to raise a woman army then to take over several African countries at the same time and make one new nation that he was going to control. Now he's... Did he run into that, the, um, the guy from Moon Knight that had his African nation? Oh, no, he was a, he was a Bushman. He was a uh, soldier of fortune, so they were all over the place. They were in Africa and <laughs> South America and, you know, the Middle East. And and Mandra wanted those problems of, of like running three countries at the same time. Well, it didn't go his way. I obviously not. And now he created this Black Spectre organization to take over the U.S. government instead. And since Daredevil won't join him, he has to die. So he throws throws Daredevil out the window and then engages him, pursues him, but then escapes when when the heat gets hot. Daredevil issue 111, oddly enough, is the first appearance of the Silver Samurai. He's a Gerber villain. Wait, that's not the Silver Samurai. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) I also love how Black Widow has been kicked off the cover for Shanna. Yeah. (laughs) You can't have Daredevil alone. He needs his lady by his side. And, you know, hey, she'll do just as well as Black Widow. And as a back issue buyer, I mean, these issues came out just before. I started reading comics like later in 74 and I had picked them up as back issues in the early eighties. And the fact that it was a daredevil and Shanna on the cover issue was very alluring to me. This might, might've been the first one of these issues that I picked up to see what that was all about. But daredevil uh, doesn't want a companion. He just wants to sleep as this issue opens, he's exhausted. And on his way home, he's ambushed by this huge dude, the Silver Samurai. I mean, huge! Daredevil gets chased and cornered, but Shanna rescues him with her big cats, Beery and Inri. So was it ever explained how Shanna, like, defeated the mental whammy? No. Or is she just, like, better than everyone else in the world? if it's her 
feral Super. nature from being a yeah. jungle woman or what, but I, there's, a, there's a panel <laughs> that has the Silver Samurai uh, pontificating after Daredevil. You're doomed, Daredevil. Why not admit feet? I'll make your death a swift and merciful one. As opposed to what's happening in the panel, which is Daredevil's falling face first into it like shattered glass. And mm. his legs are straddled over a the rest of this tip, tipped over lamppost. So he's going to like get a awful crotch shot and his face is going to be all slashed up. It's like, all right, as opposed to what's about to happen to you, you'll get this merciful death. But no, Daredevil's not having it. I um, don't have the actual issue, so stuck on the Unlimited. And they did that weird thing where they, on the cover, make his outfit appear to fully cover his legs. Oh. But he's Galactus, yeah. in other words. I was but in the issue, <laughs> he's got bare legs and wearing the skirt. So it's so weird. Like, you're like, well, one of these two is probably correct. But this is not for more modern readers like myself. This is not the silver samurai that we're more used to in appearance. This is kind of like a gladiator looking yeah. appearance. In fact, that's what it more reminded me of was the classic daredevil villain, the gladiator. Shanna learns that her father's death, which is an unresolved mystery and quest of hers from her short series. Her father's death happened. The mandrel killed him to gain control of his African diamond mines, which is what funded the creation of the Black Spectre. So the Mandrill and Necro were behind it all. And the Silver Samurai is also working for them, but they, you know, separate him somewhat by showing that it's a like a debt. He's repaying his father's debt to the Mandrill. Which is a little more like the Silver Samurai we know. Once he was Chris Claremonted. <laughs> Chris Claremonted. It's like your Roy <laughs> Thomas, Chris Claremonted. So the samurai and the Black Spectre raid the hospital and kidnap Shanna. And then Daredevil confronts the Silver Samurai and the Black Spectre commandos while they're cutting the antenna off of the Empire State Building. Wow. Well, they're like, not going to okay, be able to get radio. City. And then later on, you find out they're doing that in, like, every major city. Yeah. <laughs> that helped That helped me wrap my head around why that mattered. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Daredevil can't stop them, but he does grab the rope ladder of the retreating Black Spectre dredgeable as the issue ends. These all have uh, fun covers with, like, blurbs on them and everything. If I enjoy those or if you hate them. Warning, they all have all that on it, which I like. And there's but I know some people are good. Not. nice mix of Gil Kane and John Romita covers, too. Issue 112 is the finale of the arc. And the art in this issue, I think, is really nice. Frank Giacoa over Gene Colan. And there's a splash of Daredevil on the rope ladder, where, like, the rope ladder is not taut because it's blowing in the wind. And there's a scene of the innocence on the street below with the uh, infrastructure of the antenna falling down on them. It's like epic and horrific. And Gerber's text is really 
gruesome as he describes Daredevil's perception of hearing the metal falling and crushing and then hearing all of the heartbeats accelerated and then going out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they didn't read any of these at the... (laughs) the, uh... No, didn't they get black and white copies and everything? Uh, Yeah, because... That uh, every drop of blood, you know, yeah, every bone that it crushes to power. Andrew, <laughs> not just every drop of blood, every drop of blood that trickles from every wound to moisten the pavement's grime. Wow, I mean, that's some stuff that they don't like. But I do like how, you know, like only with superheroes does Necra's kind of weird cape thing always pose in just the right way and play on the wind and everything. Yeah. Yeah, fun design. Yeah, Daredevil Just makes... Don't, don't want her young hate every third panel. <laughs> <laughs> Necro intercepts Daredevil on the rope ladder and fights him there before he makes it on board the blimp. And the angles that, you know, the shot that Colin uses on just these few panels of them fighting on this rope ladder really conveys that it's like an exposed tussle, like when Daredevil swings back to gain the momentum to do his big arc that he's going to do to flip above her. Like you can really feel him like pulling back tight on his line out into outer space over the city. Like, man, whoo, scary stuff. As soon as Daredevil gets on board the blimp, though, he gets taken out by the mandrel and Necro. What was he going to do? Yeah, I mean, she's got super hate power, and <laughs> uh, Mandrill's like, he's a big, strong, um, what is that, baboon, I guess, is what his appearance is meant to evoke, even though he's a human, he is not, in fact, a baboon. So with Daredevil taken out, the Mandrill can enact his plan finally, and oh, what a glorious plan it is, right? Because oh, with, with the communications down, they fly to Washington, D.C., and they take over the White House. But they bring that crazy statue. <laughs> they <over> do. <laughs> the commandos flying down, tethered to the mammoth mandrel idol statue that they then set on the front lawn of the White House and take off their costumes and start dancing around. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> they haven't even won, but they're like, well, before we win, we're going to definitely need this giant statue, so make sure to fly that in. Because the Mandrill's got this, like, um, like uh, personal fighter jet thing that he uses to provide some air support. Like, did he have that fabricated? Yeah, I like one giant statue, please. About what? Yeah, but that gives you the big uh, double-page spread, which has... The monuments in the background awesome. around the White House. Not really yeah. sure where they stage that. Uh, <laughs> I, I've lived in D.C. in a while, but I'm not sure that's a good. But anyways, and it's got the statue and the little figure. And it just, it's a really cool double page spread because it's also a story. Like normally you'd think, oh man, they're going to put a few heroes or something in there so that it, you know, makes it a value. But it's a just a complete storytelling double page spread, which is a nice. I mean, not that the fun ones with the big hero aren't cool. But it's also cool to see one that's just about the story. Yeah, and then they have to make a reference to, oh, the other heroes can't get involved. And I'm like, I appreciate that you're referencing that type of thing, but also I don't know if I entirely buy what you're selling here. Well, you... Oh, come on. 
By the time Spider-Man takes a bus down from New York City, <laughs> this thing's going to be wrapped up. No, okay? he can't because there's a simple bomb threat. If, if, if anyone does anything, they're going to blow up the bombs. So you just have to give over the keys to the castle. So funny. Meanwhile, Daredevil and Shanna are strapped to exam tables. They're going to have their brains operated on so that the mandrel can learn what makes Daredevil's radar sense work and how Shanna resisted his pheromones, which we still don't know. Yeah, can I say they could have maybe let that happen so us, the reader, would find out? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who's guarding them, though? It's the Black Widow, and they get her to crack and break free of the spell. With a callback to something from the beginning of this, it's hard to believe they can remember that far back. (laughs) (laughs) When they reach the mandrel, busting in with glass everywhere, he's like sitting chill in the Oval Office. He can't believe they're alive. He's at the Resolute desk, which gets (laughs) smashed. There's some classic bit of American history destroyed in (laughs) in a tussle in the middle of there. They'll never... Brings a smile to Gerber's face. The girls fight Necra and best her somehow off-panel. We never see. (laughs) (laughs) That needs to be off-panel, Steve, because I'm not sure how they were able to do that. Yeah, because she she wasn't hating any less. (laughs) Maybe, look, so much victory, Steve. It's hard to keep the venom going when you're winning all the time. So she slipped up a little. It's like the Hulk meter was low. It's like the Hulk getting tired after a fight. (laughs) Oh, he's got to wander off into the brush and turn into Bruce. He sees a little bunny or something that always mellows him out. While the girls are handling Necra, Daredevil fights the mandrel on the white house roof. And he's distracted by the sight of his blimp his headquarters exploding in the sky because Shanna rigged a jetpack to explode. Yeah, those things don't look safe, Steve, can I say? <laughs> no. If we're talking about OSHA regulations. I really don't think he was. But I do like how Daredevil just throws Barbara off the roof. Poof. Yeah, as soon as, as, soon as Mandrill's <laughs> distracted, he kicks his leg out from under him and knocks him off the roof to his death. But there's no body when later they go to recover the body. Although there's all these soldiers standing around, so I'm like, maybe you should ask one of the soldiers if he like got up and walked away or what. Maybe. So they're uh, uh, pretty emotionally scarred, Steve. Think about if you saw all that happened that day. <laughs> but bottom line is, um, sorry, Necro. I guess you're gonna have to take the whole rap. Wah wah. So. That's how it ends. I mean, it ends really abruptly. Uh, yeah, you could have used a little more time for stuff. The events in the co- last issue. They, oh, you know, what? at the beginning of the oh. next issue, there's a little bit, but not much. But I think I, it's good to end quick. Like, what do you want to linger on a panel of somebody chiseling out Hitler's face from out? <laughs> and it already you know, had been there, seven if issues. Any events that they would add time to it would be those. Like two months when they attacked all those monuments, that would be more issues, and this last issue would be expanded out. Yeah. Yeah. So you're thinking uh, Jeff Johns could work a few miniseries out of this guy? Hey, this was <laughs> a few miniseries. This was six issues as it was. But yeah. What I, I mean, what I like though is with Gerber being one of these second generation Marvel writers, after the Marvel universe had already been kind of created. I think it's fun, although 
It was confusing at times, especially buying issues off the racks or buying back issues, but it's fun how this group of writers at this time viewed the concept of like the shared universe where they really did bounce stories around between titles, between issues following. I mean, sometimes it was because of cancellation like Nova or uh, Shanna and their stories continuing in other books. But sometimes it's just, this is where the story went is over to this thing and over to here. And it's kind of neat. I liked that a lot happens so you can really enjoy like i wasn't buying comics off the rack in 1973 so <laughs> i like that you can like if you grab one of these issues there's a lot that would happen and maybe not the satisfying beginning middle and end of a whole story arc but like a lot goes on so if you just got this somewhere you'd be like oh it's cool there was this guy with the sword and Another guy hits him with the club, but you know, like it was fun now that we can read them all in order and get kind of the thousand foot view. It's good, but I also think it's good, you know, if you were just like we were, or I was at least a kid and you'd get random issues here and there and you just kind of read them and have fun with it. Yep. This is definitely a story arc that I filled in over time. So I had only had little chunks of it here and there. But fun that it went from Shanna to Daredevil to Marvel 2-in-1 to back to Daredevil to, what, Kazar next? I mean, she had, she had only had one encounter with Kazar at that point. Anyway, alright, hardly a seasonal story though, right? Let's see I mean, if... what's more seasonal than the destruction of the United States? <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Barbara Mandrill and the Mandrill Sisters. All right. Hey, let's do these four holiday issues in chronological order. Like, you know, like the ghost of Christmas past, present and future. The first is Son of Satan, number eight. No, really. The first <laughs> is Son of Satan, number eight. From November of 1976. And this is on the Marvel Unlimited as well as in some of the Son of Satan trade paperback collections. Uh, did you have a hot chocolate with Satan? <laughs> Written by Bill Mantlo and lettered by his wife with, well, a Gil Kane cover, but inside, what a treat, it's Russ, Russ Heath art. Yeah, that's weird. But great, right? I mean, I, I was so I, looking at his figure work and his faces and awesome 
so is, is is on the first page i'm like oh it's another sphinx story <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was sage it did seem like the sage didn't it i mean there's not really a plot to this issue it's more like a like a fever dream like did you try to read the text it was really hard to <laughs> stick with not just a fever dream steve but spoiler <laughs> is it an actual dream in this thing oh the what a silly of, the art's beautiful but what a silly silly yeah. silly twist he gets visited the son of satan does by a powerful mystery figure in a purple cloak and hood totally seeming like the sage from those sphinx stories <laughs> and damien gets led into hell so we get to see all the kooky denizens of hell and you know they're all eating each other and endless you know, caterpillar <laughs> connected <laughs> things. And some of it's like Salvador Dali. Some of it's like Bosch. Some of it's, it's just crazy stuff. And Heath was obviously having fun with it. How could they not have, where it, they forget to color it. <laughs> How could they not have a sage based storyline that isn't titled sage ran out of time or something, Steve. <laughs> right. So but I love all the little demons and weird gremlins. I mean, some of them are more humorous <laughs> rather than frightening, but it does remind me somewhat of the distinguished competition when, um, you know, the swamp thing that Alan Moore worked on a little bit, kind of the same kind of like little tiny demons and devils populating the panels. Yeah, and it's more like they're suffering being that rather than it being they're supposed to be scary to somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not a fun place to be. No. And, Kevin, you said that page that has no color. Interestingly enough, it's like in the peak sequence of the book. I mean, Satan almost gets Hellboy to accept his destiny after all, finally, right? (laughs) But in that moment, Damien was supposed to be shown to be witnessing himself hanging on a cross like he's been crucified but the comics code was like no that can't that page can't happen so at the last minute they scrambled and the art director john ramita whipped up a one page uh like you know an interior splash page basically and archie goodwin scripted it no time for colors (laughs) <laughs> that is so, so weird in the script they comment that it's like lightning flashing that's taking out the color um but that's why it was there was a pay, he was being crucified and the comics code said no yeah they're cool with all the other satan and everything else but <laughs> yeah you know there's taste steve you gotta do i also some it's really worth taking your time because there's a great scene where it's like a fish eating a shark eating a fish eating a shark eating a person like but it's a real little like there's just lots of funny and then someone with like spaghetti i can't tell if it's a bunch of tongues or they're vomiting or so there's just a lot of detail that's worth like just skip the word balloons just spend time noodling around looking at that stuff and it all turns out as you foreshadowed andrew it's all a bad dream that satan awakes from because it's the one the shower. It's the it's the one night of the year that Satan has bad dreams. It's Christmas Eve. Ah, <laughs> there's your Christmas story. <laughs> See, they should have said something like, "I shouldn't have had that rare bit cheese or whatever." Yeah. <laughs> that eggnog. <laughs> yeah. And the original issue. Spoiled. 
it's not on the Marvel Unlimited, but the original issue had a backup reprint from Tower of Shadows number six in 1970 that was written and drawn by Tom Sutton, if you've got the original issue. And this was the last issue of Son of Satan's solo title after he did a run of string of stories in Marvel Spotlight. Then he did these eight issues. This was the last one. He'd next appear in Howard the Duck number 13 and then show up in the Defenders where he'd hang out for like the whole rest of the Bronze Age. And then never heard from again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only Until that know. weird Leonard Manko, Ellen, uh, Warren Ellis uh, in the 90s. Remember that one? At this Barely. point, I don't think there's any character that had its own title that has been forgotten by the house of ideas. They're not letting anything go fallow. Uh, they're, they're, they don't remember who Huma Sapien is. So, I mean, <laughs> well, where they got the rights, I should put it that, I mean, they remember <laughs> Rom and Micronaut. They want, they don't want to, even if they have to, I was just lamenting that they, why don't they collect the Spidey super stories? And I'm like, Oh yeah. They'd have to give, children's television workshop like a dollar or something and yeah like morgan you Freeman's wouldn't want to rich do enough. that <laughs> <laughs> oh, so next up showing up at anyone's christmas party january 1990 also on the marvel unlimited is iron man 254 with oh. bob layton on story and art yeah which is great good old bob layton like mr iron man right i'm sure i've mentioned this multiple times in in passing this issue? Yeah. The, I mean, it, it has a great, like, hate the holidays cover that, I mean, it, does, <laughs> it doesn't quite appear in the comic. It, um, is, is that you know. why one of the reasons why this is one of my my early comics? Like, something drew me to this? Right. Santa's shooting Iron Man with a, with a blaster. <laughs> with a <laughs> zap. <laughs> I don't right, know. Yeah. When we Obama moved, side is kind of like what? When we moved from like the bad guys have like guns and blackjacks and stuff to now they all have weird laser guns and stuff that looks right out of uh, the Star Wars comic. Speaking of the bad guys, uh, so the crime, the big crime organization, the uh, Magia or Magia or how do you guys say it? Is it Magia or Magia, like Mafia, but with a G? That's how I, I always thought of it. Yeah, and I thought it Magia. was Maga is what I call it, Steve. Oh, I, I said it like Mafia, so it's Magia. Yeah, like it's just same. replacing the F with a G because it's like one letter off, right? So, but, yeah, but then my, I heard a my lot. pronunciation of things was kind of questionable when you have no other source anyways. So well, it's, yeah, one mean, those, the, it's one of those it's one of those words audio comics. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we, when we had a lot of distance between us, so we couldn't be like, hey, how do you say it? How do you know? Yeah, it's you're one of like, those it's obviously Magneto, right? Because it's magnetic <laughs> waves. And everyone said, yes. I mean, we would have been saying they should have come up with motion comics uh, a few decades earlier. Then we would have been saved. On the Bob Layton front, too, I got to say, I love it when you can see Iron Man's teeth through his little mouth <laughs> slot. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and this is a fun one. Justin Hammer oh, yeah. hires the Taskmaster to run like a, a contest of challenges that are deadly, including the participants being like pitted against each other and intending to wipe each other out. And the last guy standing gets the title of being the new spy master 
yeah, it's weird that there's so much of him in here. Like, I always think of him training dudes in, like, Cap's book, but there's a whole long bit here with the Taskmaster, which is nice. What I'm... Well, I think Leighton, obviously, is associated well with Iron Man. I do kind of... And I guess it's controversial, but I love the the white and silver and red armor that came out in 200. I mean, I know we're that's controversial. years before. It is. I don't like but it. But I liked that oh, style. Man. I thought it was pretty cool. And it is. Kind of bulky and sleek and fun. And now we're back to Yay. like more of the version one, which I'm fine with, but I don't. I wish they would have committed fully to version one. And not like I feel this is a hybrid of it's got that Dude. kind of slick rounded bits not, from yeah. 200, but it's just the color scheme was redone. Like, have yeah. so go all the way back. Give me roller skates and all that. Mm. Don't half ass it. You got like three or four years of the silver centurion look, but it's oh, got to be back to the back to the red and gold. But this is this is more like the animated modular uh, Iron Man armor. So the new spy master guy, he gets the gear after he wins and he's he's last man standing. But the final test is he has to go steal like the star off the Christmas tree at the Stark Enterprises holiday party. Pretty bold, right? Of course, Iron Man intercepts and they fight and everything and his family's all around and, you know, platters of hors d'oeuvres being smashed everywhere and the punch bowl and all that business and then they have that good gag of um of um awful gas (laughs) (laughs) i i i will say i always liked the spy master and i think it's because a couple of items one is like it makes sense you'd have like a, a basically like an evil James Bond. Like, yeah, I mean, they put him in a, a superhero union suit, but other than that, he's like evil James Bond. And also, it was a twist. Normally, Marvel was known for like very powerful villains against the weaker hero, but I always felt like the spy master was the underpowered one. So it made it interesting because he had to kind of use his limited gimmicks and everything to try and avoid. Because there's no way he's going toe to toe with Iron Man in any real sense of the word. Yeah. World. So I, I don't know. I just thought it was a fun flip of like, what if we had James Bond as the bad guy fighting these very powerful superheroes? Like, he he's not about trying to. He he can't ever win them by beating them up. He's got to get his goal, steal the information, or sabotage exactly. the plan or whatever. He wasn't just against Iron Man, he would come afoul of Iron Man because he was actually against like Stark Enterprises. It was more yeah. of the corporate tech espionage that kind of stuff, um which was cool and I like that about Iron Man that the stories could be more directed where Stark is the not necessarily the protagonist, but he's the target so to speak and then he has to figure out how to have Iron Man save the day, even though he's the one being targeted, that kind of thing. Yeah, he's stuff. got to trick Happy into putting on the armor or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say you like Spy Master, not this one, though. You like the old one. It was the one before this one you liked, I, I assume. <laughs> I just like the concept of that I, I kind of 
Uh, here, although we I did... new, here we have a new guy. That's all. That's yeah. All. The, the, the electric nunchucks felt a bit of a, uh, like a whiplash ripoff. <laughs> Wasn't he able to do that with his stuff too, at some point? It's a whip. Probably after the movie. <laughs> well, then he put on the questionable black outfit. So with this big tussle happening, you know, in front of all of Stark's employees that he's responsible for and everything, Iron Man finally realizes what the spy master is after. And he's like, you're after like the ornament on the tree. He's like, just take it, dude, and go. Merry Christmas. And sends him on his way. Just tells him to bugger off, basically. It's kind of a fun, funny, good little not out of the wheelhouse of Bob Layton storytelling type ending. Agree. Although I did think it was a poor choice to make the thing on the top yellow against his yellow costume. <laughs> like, come on, man. We already got enough yellow in this book. Can't be changing the star. <laughs> Nine years later, in December of 1999, is Ant-Man's Big Christmas. This one's not on the Unlimited yet. Sorry, kids. It's and, a... And everyone knows this one, too. It's a Marvel Knights book with... It had two covers. A Jay Lee cover and a Phil Winslade cover. Written by Bob Gale with art by Phil Winslade. Starts off with it being Christmas at the Avengers and like everybody's there and like full house. I see Speedball. <laughs> and Nova. <laughs> I and, thought that this one was the one that had a bit like the dialogue felt kind of sitcommy, corny stuff about in-laws and oh yeah. you, I'll send you right to the moon or whatever. I mean, yep. I enjoyed it, but I could have done Without that, that sort of spin on Bob Gale. What if superheroes were right in the middle of some silly rom-com or whatever? Yeah, well, the only person who's not at the big holiday soiree is Hank, who is Giant Man at the time. And he's found and unlocks this old capsule that reveals this harmless short-term shrinking gas inside from the old days. Then he and Jan, the wasp, get a Christmas letter from a young teen who's asking for help. His family is great. He loves his mom and dad and everything. But Christmas gets ruined every year when his extended family shows up. He's got like bully cousins and relatives who are insulting, like a panty sniffing uncle. <laughs> this is Marvel Knights, folks. <laughs> Just your typical family, Steve. Yeah. So the kids' favorite Avengers are Ant-Man and the Wasp. So Hank has to put on the helmet and ride the ants again as Ant-Man. Because remember, there's no Ant-Man at this time. This is just before we'd get the Robert Kirkman, Eric O'Grady revamp. Now, we're pretty sure this kid wrote like eight different letters, right? Each one yeah. like, you're my Ant favorite superhero. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the things opening up one uh, <laughs> Wolverine. <laughs> So the uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp agree to spend Christmas with this kid and his family, but they'll be small and hidden ex except for, you know, known to the boy. And I got to say, this 
is not what I expected. It's really crazy. They basically agree to help this kid torture his relatives using the shrinking gas, like shrink them down and torture them. Felt almost like this should have been like a tribute to the original Ant Man from this, with the, you know, ironic O Henry endings where the the panty sniffing uncle gets his just desserts type of thing. <laughs> He even lets the boy look up his cousin Martha's dress with a magnifying glass while he's holding her up with some tweezers. And he's like looking right up her dress, his eyeball. I mean, it's I guess that's Marvel Knights for you. (laughs) This is a crazy issue. All right. And then the last one is from December of 2016. It's on the Unlimited. And it's the Gwenpool Holiday Special Merry Mix-Up. I mean, five, is it five possible stories? that this might be the craziest one? Like, these these are a, a grab bag of crazy, the ones we're covering. <laughs> <laughs> five t- ten-page stories in this issue, though, which is kind of cool. And under a really colorful uh, Salvador Espen cover. The main one is Gwenpool's Unbelievable Christmas, written by Christopher Hastings with art by Misha Haynes. So, you know, Gwenpool's from our universe, right? She grew up reading Marvel comics, but like an episode of The Twilight Zone where someone gets stuck like in the TV, in the tele, like in the show that they're watching on television, she gets stuck in the Marvel universe and all she's got to like get by is her knowledge of how comic books typically work. And a lot of really intimate background information on, like, all the characters that she comes across and their histories. So at this time, she's hooked up with some henchmen working for MODOK and learns that, like, all the holidays are wrong. It's instead of Thanksgiving, it's Pantsgiving and there's Skrull Night and... Galactus is the reason for the Christmas season and everything. It's like something's not right here. So to the North Pole, she goes to sort it all out. And then the other stories kind of explore these variant holidays a little bit. (laughs) And what's a holiday story without Fin Fang Foom showing up? In a couple of them, too. I was pleasantly surprised. The next one is I Saw Spidey Kissing Galactus, The Bringer of Gifts, written by Ryan North with art by Nathan Stockman, where Miles Morales Spidey goes from seeing a mall Galactus to meeting the real one. And this is at the time when he's like the golden bringer of life, not the purple bringer of death. And he gets to fight Fin Fang Foom in between, which is it's so fun. The panels of him you know, blasting Fin Fang Foom on the nose with electricity and like snots coming out of his nose. And (laughs) Fin Fang Foom's like trying to shake him off being like, you can't stop me with just some energy. But by the time he's finished saying that Miles has shot him with energy blast so many times that Fin Fang Foom is totally defeated. It's really funny. And I love the uh, opening half splash. It introduces Fin Fang Foom. It's like a great, He's in kind of a fighting pose, but crouched to fit in the whole thing. Yeah, so, big, big, big fan of how this looked. And the a lot of the stories just had great color and fun. Like, upbeat. I like when they're embracing the zaniness. Also in the 
every part of it the dialogue the pictures the colors everything's got to be crazy i thought having 10 page stories was really good because it gave enough time for them to get into telling a story that felt pretty full but just when it's feeling like it's enough it's done rather than like them trying to tell the joke too long kind of a thing i, I thought it was nice having them all be consistent 10 pagers rather than it being a smaller book and having like, you know, a four pager and an eight pager and et cetera. The third story was the war on pants giving written by Carla Pacheco with art by Juan Basil Dua, but he's listed here as Oscar Basil Dua for some reason. Thanksgiving has been replaced by pants giving guys. And a frustrated hot pants store owner who's not getting enough business uh, conjures up Fin Fang Foom and gets him to run amok in New York. I mean, he does wear the short short pants. This has been a very challenging day, he says, <laughs> as he's going through the city. <laughs> for some reason, dialogue for Fin Fang Foom always hits me if it's given some thought i find it being a, a great he's a great deliverer of dialogue in his fin fang foom special day put on <laughs> the smaller pants <laughs> eventually the punisher steps in and has what i thought was a hilariously cliched monologue about how like you know, you're stuck on the material and the commercialism and that's not what pants giving is all about <laughs> <laughs> That's not the true meaning of Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> the fourth story is Happy Hydra Holidays. Wow. By Nick Coker with art by Bruno Oliveira. I mean, the, this went some places. The Red Skull, he's having a great holiday season. Like, everything's great. He's He's firing off Hail Hydras to everyone from, like, the... You know, the, the janitorial staff to his generals, you know, <laughs> to, to the bear that's that's in a Hydra outfit. <laughs> then he gets a memo that corporate's insisting that it's hail hatred now. As to not offend anyone or exclude anyone with the hail Hydra. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got to make the image more. Uh, <laughs> more. Uh, play better to the different demographics and I mean we need inclusive hatred the, the whole scene where he goes and talks to like a shadow cabinet yeah. and one dude lets it go that this they just had one complaint and it's by the guy who's a recent hire who's doing the social media accounts yes. so it's like he's the guy who's triggered <laughs> and complained I found this really all really funny like it reminds me of like the middle management Red Skull type of thing where he was he was in Captain America and he's like at a desk in a suit and everything and he's like, Oh, this paperwork. Like it's 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 the return of like that Red Skull. The other highlight to me in this story was there's a funny scene where he's explaining to a captured Hawkeye what's going on, and Hawkeye's tied up with a shark on a catapult aimed right at him at like point blank range. And, and as the page goes on, the, the camera like zooms in on the skull. And in the very last panel, you just see him releasing the lever <laughs> that would have shot that, that shark right into Hawkeye. <laughs> Not like this. 
The last story is Deadpoolween, written and drawn by China Flores. And it's kind of funny because it's almost like you think the whole book is over because Gwenpool came back and wrapped up her story on the back end. And then there's like a whole new title page with little Deadpool, just like in Deadpool's book. And he's like, oh, I've hijacked the book and I got to get my story in here. And it's about him having a great Halloween. He's doing all like the Halloween things, right? Good and bad. Then he freaks out when he realizes how many people are dressed as Deadpool for, for Halloween, <laughs> which I also thought was a pretty funny meta joke. Yeah, then if you he, have to go through a con without seeing like a, a Deadpool, I mean, I don't know if you could make it. Then he gets serendipitously like caught up in a Deadpool costume contest, which of course he doesn't win. But fun. Ho, 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 holiday comics. <laughs> <laughs> that good, huh, Andrew? Yeah, it's fun to read. The, the the interesting thing is, like, we covered pretty wide range of eras, too. So a yeah. little bit of almost each decade, I feel like, close enough to. Dude, last year, I every time I came across something that was a holiday comic, I just made a little note of it somewhere. And I have a pretty good list of, like, like another, like, 20 possible holiday comics that so before the holidays i just uh went to them and i did just that i kind of grabbed one I, I grabbed a really motley crew of books and i i i had fun with it as long as we're not visited by any ghosts <laughs> all right merry marchers that's our holiday episode steve gerber and all thanks so very very much Andrew and Kevin for joining me always to do this show. You know, when I finally get around to being able to do it and all. And thanks for listening. True believers. We're going to try and squeeze in one more episode before the month is out and the year is up. Cause we got to do our 2022 cooler meter. Cool. And isn't it funny how long we like talked about the cooler meter and joked <laughs> about the cooler meter before we actually did one. <laughs> All right. Until Marble Noise is at the basement of the Coolometer, make mine marble. Later. I'm sad.